Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. My name is Kyle Burkholder. I'm the pastor here at Covenant Church, and I'm glad that you're here with us. Uh, we are in week three of our current sermon series called The Talents. And what we're doing for these weeks is we're literally just taking Jesus's parable of the talents, and every week we just do a little rotation and look at it from a slightly different angle to see what it has for us, because it's a very practical uh, piece for us. It's a very practical parable. It invites us into action in the kingdom of God. And so what we're going to do uh, this week, having looked at how it is about trust and it's about time. Today we're going to talk about the parable of the talents as it relates to your actual talents, your skills, your gifts, and what that means. So we're going to read the entire parable again like we've done each week and put it on the screen for you. You can read along with us. Matthew 25, starting in verse 14, the Bible says this. Jesus says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with him. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Sounds like the joy. He also, it's the third servant coming up. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have at least received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has will be given, will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So today, uh, we're talking about serving. What does it mean to use our talents and our gifts and our skills? What does it mean um, to kind of leverage what God has put into us uniquely? Each of us has a unique mix of those things. What does it look like to leverage that for kingdom business? It makes sense to talk about the context of servants to begin with, because this is all about servants. So you need to know what that means. Biblically, a a definition would be a bondservant. This is somebody who is... um, not quite employed. They, they are in the sort of personal property realm, but it's sort of like a lifetime employment. Most likely someone with a permanent position. It, it's a job. And it's, it's hard for us because we have these notions of 
kind of American capitalist economy and upward mobility, and that's, that's not what's happening in the Bible. That's not how the world worked. Um, if your father was a stonemason, you were a stonemason. If your father was a farmer, you were a farmer. Um, it wasn't a lot of like, no one asked a young Hebrew child, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like that never happened. And so as a result, uh, being a bondservant was actually a, a place of great security because you had, you had a role, you had a position, you knew who you were, you knew where you fit. It's a different world than, than what we're used to. Mosaic law actually allowed for indentured servants, someone with a debt, so if I'm working for you to pay off my debt, it allowed me to voluntarily just become your bondservant, to go, actually, I think I'd rather stick with this. This is what I'm going to be after. Steady employment. And it's actually a a term of of humble nobility in the Bible. The Old Testament referred to Abraham and Joshua and David and Isaiah, referred to all of them as God's servant. Someone in a biblical sense, who is a servant is simply one who has renounced other masters and has pledged allegiance to one. The greatest servant of all, when, when his students were arguing about greatness, Jesus set them straight. Mark 9, uh, chapter 9, verse 35, it's a sitting down. Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Jesus invited his followers to become servants, which is what? to renounce other masters and serve the Father as he served the Father. Jesus himself was a bondservant. He had renounced other masters and was serving God the Father. And yet, what does he say about you? John 15, 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. So there's this profound switch that happens for those who follow Christ where we go from servants to friends. We go from being servants, renouncing other masters and having one master, to being called friends. What's the difference? A servant has an allegiance to their master. That's what makes them a servant. But friends have allegiance to each other. Friends have relational intimacy. And it's a huge shift in the way that we relate to God. God is not a distant, far-off thunder and lightning being to be feared and worshiped. Hope we don't get struck. Hope we get it just right. Hope I do the right things. Hope I have the best behavior. Hope I check the box. Jesus says, we're in it for each other. I'm I'm for you as much as you're for me. We're going to have a relationship. We're going to cry together. We're going to be together. We're going to know each other. So you've gone from, like you've gotten a raise from servant to friend. You're not just a hired hand. Jesus is implying that you're now part of the inside club. You're, you're co-heirs with him. You're insiders. That's where we exist. We know the master's business, Jesus says. You know the master's business. I've made it all known to you. We know his goals. We know our local goal. We don't write it down anywhere. It's not on a, it's not on a billboard. It's not on the wall. A kind of our local goal is, is to make BG as it is in heaven. It's to bring the kingdom to the city in, in big ways and little ways. Set people free and using our skills and talents and gifts, we want to do that. So what did it say in Matthew 25? It said, he who had received the five talents, what did he do? He went and traded with them. That's the word we want to circle there. He traded with them and he made five talents more. And the same was done with the one who had two talents. They traded with them. The, the word in Greek is ergotsumai, and it, it means worked. 
It's used all over the New Testament. When somebody's working something, it refers in, in Luke, the Pharisees refer to uh, God creating the world. And it says God worked for six days and then rested. They're talking about Sabbath and Jesus healing on the Sabbath. And they're arguing with him. And the word they use for God's creation of the world was the same word being used there that this, this servant went and worked the talents he was given. I don't know what that looks like in 2023 as much as I know what it looked like then. But, you know, you did a cool stock flip or you invested in this great thing or you uh, opened a lemonade stand. I don't know what you do. But it's the idea is he took what was given to him and he worked it and he worked it and he worked it so that when the master returned, he had something to give him back. The idea is that it's that work that leads to the end of that little part of the story where the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. A well done, good and faithful servant moment, it comes after the work. And it is our work that leads us down that path. Trusting servants using their time and their talent and their treasure. And what I will tell you in our last week of this series is you've actually been entrusted with a tribe as well. But we have to work it. Do you remember COVID? you remember COVID? I don't know where you were, how old you were, what you were up to. Hindsight clouds your, your remembrance of COVID. I don't know if you know this, but hindsight, you don't think of COVID the way it actually was when it first happened. You think of it the way you know it to be now. So you think of, you know, 2021 when you think of COVID a little bit because it's like, well, it wasn't that big. And then we got over this and then we started doing that and some people wore masks and stuff. And then, then we started fighting. And so you have this kind of mishmash. But if you go back to like March of 2020, you get to a really strange place where the world felt a little off when nobody knew anything yet, and we were all kind of wondering and waiting for what was next. Stuff got weird. Stuff shut down. The church paused. All over the world, the church paused, which meant there were no volunteers here. For months, you were getting all the credit for being on the volunteer role. You didn't have to do a thing. Around the country, what happened and what's been seen over and over is, is you're, I'm connected to other churches and I read the studies. And all around the country, churches have actually lost volunteers at a, at a wild level. And the thing about COVID is it wasn't unique in, in what it was. It was, you, it was just simply an accelerator. The, the old phrase is crisis accelerates change. So whatever's already changing, it's accelerated in the form of crisis. Happens in a marriage. Something's going one direction. Crisis will accelerate that change. And so what happened in COVID is crisis accelerated a change that's happening in the church where the church was already getting more consumeristic because of the internet, because of who we are. And so people would choose a church based on, do I like the music or do I like the teacher? And if I like the music or the style of music or I like the teacher or my friends go there, but that was kind of it. Like I, I choose it because I, it's my preference. We're preference people. We arrive, we consume, sometimes we leave a tip in the black box, and then we leave. And that accelerated during COVID to the point that the church all over the country, that was a new thing where, where I was hearing from churches that had hundreds of volunteers in areas, and they're like, we can't get someone to serve. Now, that's not such a problem here. Like, we're okay. We're taking care of you guys. are doing a good job. But, but I would say there has been a consumeristic nudge for a lot of people. And we would say, if you're here because you like the way I preach or because you like the way Greg leads music, one, you'd be the first person that ever told us that. <laughs> Not him. I hear about him all the time. Um, 
But two, we would invite you to go somewhere else. Go to a place where you have real community. Go to a place where you want to get connected. Go to a place where you're going to meet people and get in the massive relationship. That's what we want for you. You could listen to us online like anybody else. We want you to actually be in the massive relationship. But if you're here for mission, to be activated in kingdom life, to bring hope and grace, then what we want to do today is figure out how do we get after it? I'm going to fix my microphone again, so I'm going to turn my microphone off. That way I don't make a giant noise again. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay. I just did great work, well done, good and faithful servant, to fix my microphone. So I said we have a lot of faithful people serving. Using time and talent, we're pushing forward the mission. Our default, though, if we're honest, our default is to consume. We don't want to be contributors. We want to be consumers as a default position. But once we start contributing to something bigger than ourselves, we actually learn that that feels better. We like that better because you were designed for that. And then we end up doing more of that. And so what we're trying to do today is as we look at the story of how do you leverage your talents, the question is, how are you leveraging your talents? How are you leveraging your gifts and your skills? And lest you think this is about getting more people to serve in the church, I'm going to make sure you hear me. This is not about getting more people to serve in the church. I had a conversation with a new member recently who was saying that they essentially had served for years as a personal uh, pregnancy center at home. They would help young women who had maybe unexpected pregnancies and would walk through the process with them and help them like every step of the way. And this woman said, I don't really know where to serve. I haven't found my place yet. And I said, I know exactly where your place is. It's at the pregnancy center. Not on a Sunday morning at Covenant Church. It's, It's on a Tuesday afternoon being the person that will receive the young woman who's had a life-changing uh, realization and needs someone to walk through her. That's, who, that's where your place to serve is. I don't want to activate people to covenant church. I want to activate people to the kingdom of God because that's where your full flourishing is. That's where you'll find real life. And there's two paths today that we're going to look at. The first path I'm going to call the highest and best use path. I'll put a graph up here. Highest and best use is a, you would be turning like commercial real estate. Here's, here's how this works. Uh, there's a field across the street from Home Depot. Home Depot is built across the street. There's a cornfield. The cornfield has been sold. The people who bought it, Menards. Menards wants to build a Menards across from Home Depot because competition. So when you think of that field, it's just a cornfield, how do you value the field? And so highest and best use says you value that field based on what is legal, financially feasible, and physically possible. And the highest and best use becomes that, that becomes the valuation. And so that cornfield can't be a Tesla factory. It's not zoned for that. It can't be a skyscraper. That's not realistic. But it could be a Menards. And so if the highest and best use is that it would become a commercial property that's valued at X number of million dollars, that's what they get taxed on. That's the best valuation. Okay? Highest and best use. You have a highest and best use what is legally and physically possible and financially feasible, you have a highest and best use for your life, for your days using your skills. There's a highest and best use for your talent. The first two servants in the parables, they they hit this optimally. They doubled their talents. They went from five to 10 and two to four, they doubled. You working in your highest and best use is when you feel wild competency doing what you're doing. A business uh, author once said that 
that you know when you're working in your strengths when you lose track of time doing something. When you, you're so, you get so into it that you kind of lose track of time. How did it get to be that late already? And that's how you know maybe you're working in your strengths. We have some of those people around here that are living in their highest and best as they serve the church. So using that as they serve the church context, what does that look like? And Jason Gaylor, I'm glad he was on base today. I did not plan that. Um, Jason's a great bassist. He's a professional musician. So he also uses his really unique talent to bless us. Megan Miller is uh, hanging out. She serves in Covenant Students. She happens to be a professional educator of tweens in her actual life, and she leverages that to come and love our kids as they age into 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. It's, it's like a perfect match of the things she wakes up excited to do anyway, she's doing for the kingdom. There's some non-traditional ones you probably haven't thought of or heard about. Megan Layfield is our social media coordinator. She's a volunteer who literally just runs our social media. Why? Because she's really good at it. Which is like, I didn't know you could be a volunteer in that area. Neither did we. But she's great at it, and it's awesome. And she used to serve in the kids' ministry, and she goes, I kind of think I need a new place to serve, and so what does she do now? She gives the same hour a week, but she gives it in scheduling social media and making things relatable so that the people might hear about the gospel of Jesus. And we go, that's a, that's a thing? Yeah. And so, so what does it look like to begin to use your natural gifting in a way that blesses the kingdom? What you may not realize is that when people are deployed in their optimal role, it actually stretches the bounds of what we all think is possible. When you serve in your optimal role, when you are working at your very best, it stretches everyone else's understanding of what's possible. Let me explain. Victor Winbanyama. Have you heard of Victor Winbanyama? That's him holding a regulation baseball. That's what I look like holding a regulation golf ball. His hands are enormous. His arms are enormous. He will be a rookie in the NBA this year. He is seven foot five with an eight foot wingspan, which means if you have eight foot ceilings and you could turn him on his side, he can touch the floor and the ceiling at the same time. He has what they call in basketball terms a standing reach, which means if you just stand up and put your arm up, his standing reach is about 10 feet tall, coincidentally the same height as the rim itself. So he has some really unique physical gifts. Let's say that Victor Winbanyama, who I believe is 19 years old, let's say he has a year of high school eligibility left and he joins our local team. Something changes, right? How will the coach and the teammates respond when Victor Winbanyama joins the BG Christian Lions or the BG High School Bobcats? <laughs> like, we're not so afraid of Anthony Wayne anymore. We got that. What changes? What changes is when somebody is serving in their optimal gifting, it inspires everyone else around them to dream a little bigger. So the team and the coach go from, let's try to have some fun, guys. <laughs> oh, boy, we're not that good. <laughs> to, I think we're going to win state. Let's work a little harder. And it changes like that because it changes because somebody has been deployed in their highest and best use. Now, that's an absurd example. And I'm working on getting him here. I, I, he hasn't responded yet, but I'm working on it. 
But when someone is deployed in their strength in their highest and best, it inspires everyone. And so what does it look like for you to be deployed in your highest and best? And what little ways might it inspire the people around you to do the same? I've gotten like half a dozen unsolicited people asking me a couple different questions about a couple new volunteers going, they're incredible. When did they start? And I just go, why don't you just tell them? I literally watch in the church as people get inspired when other people are doing great work. And you have great work in you. You have great talent and skill in you. Are you using it? That's highest and best. That's where God wants you. The other path is maybe if you're sitting on the sidelines, no shame there. If you're here and you go, you know what? I'm not really, I don't know my place here. I haven't been here that long. I'm just kind of feeling it out. I actually just want to consume. Can I stay? We'd say yes for a little bit, but maybe find community. You can check it out for a little bit, but we want to know you. We want to love you. We want to shape you. We want to push you. We want to help you. There's something for those sitting on the sidelines, which is called a minimum viable product. Another thing pulled from the business world, MVP, minimum viable product. This is, um, this is when you have a product that you need to launch. And so just read it. It's, there's minimum, which is something no one wants or needs. And then there's like the perfect version on the far right. And in the middle, it's like, it's good enough to launch, but you're probably going to make it better over time. How many of you have ever used Instagram? Okay, we're going to apply MVP to Instagram. Instagram launched in 2010 as an app called Bourbon. Anybody on Bourbon back then? No. It was a, literally, it was a photo uh, filtering app. That's all it was. Because iPhones, if you'll remember, back in the Stone Ages in 2010, um, iPhones didn't have a very good camera. You couldn't fit a great camera in such a small space. And so they actually built an app to put filters on it to make your pictures look better. Come to find out, what started as bourbon and MVP begins to be iterated on and they find new uses and better iterations and better uses and another use case and a different business model. And pretty soon, Facebook buys Instagram for a billion dollars because Instagram became Instagram, but it started as bourbon, just a minimum viable product. They just got it out in the world to see what it could become. Had to start. No one's buying bourbon for a million dollars or for a billion dollars if it's still in a developer's mind. It only gets bought because he puts it out in the world, because she puts it out in the world. And they say, here's the thing that the world needs to see. And as it gets iterated and made better and improved and learned upon, then it goes and becomes its highest and best self. So some of you, some of you have a minimum viable product season in front of you. We're going to call it MVP because the world likes a good MVP. Some of you need to become MVPs. That, that whole concept where you just get started. You just need to get in the game. You just need to try. And figure out if you're good at something. And figure out if it's fulfilling to actually serve in a way. Like, if you're a parent, I got some parents here. A parent, you have MVP skills already, whether you know it or not. Because you're a parent. If I said, how many of you can, I don't know, keep an infant alive for a little bit? Hour-ish? Hour 15, a few hands go down, they're like, that's a long time. <laughs> Emily said, she will hold your babies and snuggle them next week. We don't actually have uh, her credentials, other than the fact that she has a few really adorable kids that seem to be pretty nice. For you, you may say, I think I could do that too. I think, I think I could wrangle toddlers. When I was 19 in church, I volunteered every week in the toddler room. 
They gave me toddlers. Do you know why they gave a 19-year-old boy toddlers? Because I didn't have any other skills. <laughs> they said, you can keep these kids alive, right? And I was like, well, and they say, it's good, get in there. And I start building a relationship with these toddlers and then they become kindergartners and they get into like real Sunday school and I'm hanging with them and I know their names and now they sell insurance. And I mean, it's like, it's weird. (laughs) These are real human beings that are doing real human things now. I help keep them alive. I didn't have special skills. They were like, can you get on your knees and play with them? Can you hand out goldfish 45 minutes into the hour? Not for those two kids, they don't eat goldfish. Can you remember that? I was like, I can try. I was an MVP back then, okay? I was practicing my minimum viable product. And what I learned was I really loved to serve people because I'd see the way the parents came in and picked up their kids when the kid was like moderately happy or alive. The parents were thrilled because they got an hour and 15 minutes and they didn't have to worry about their kid. And I went, that felt good. You start to learn things once you jump in. Like the servant who just buried the talents He didn't even try. The owner says, at least give me interest, at least deposit it in the bank. Why are you burying your talents? And we've been saying week after week that we unfortunately so often live a buried life where we go, I'm just not even gonna try. And we bury all that God has put into us. And then we wonder why life feels a little empty. We wonder why life feels a little bit shallow. We wonder where all the meaning and the purpose was supposed to come from. We go, where is that? And the Bible is saying it's in using what God has put into you in interesting and creative ways. There will be somebody here who has an idea for a ministry we don't have yet. Can I do this, someone will say, and we'll go, I don't know, sure. How can we help? It isn't about fitting into the box of an institutional church. It isn't about getting organized religion into people's veins. It's about you flourishing in the way God has designed you. You leaning into your God-given, created, God-breathed design, and then figuring out that this feels really right. So some of you have MVP skills in the kids area. Some of you are parents, and you don't currently serve somewhere, and I would say the easiest thing for you is to become a Covenant Kids MVP. You don't have to serve every week. You go, hey, man, that's my one hour a week that I don't have to watch kids. It's actually my only safe space, okay? Okay. I'd say, what about once every eight weeks? Because what the gospel invites us to do is to turn away that consumptive selfishness and to to do something different, to give a a sacrificial selflessness. Where instead of going, I don't want to give up my one week, my one hour a week, you start saying, I wonder if I could be the person to give someone else an hour a week. Hmm. I wonder if there's a new person who walked in today and they're on last, last step, losing out, ready to give up. But I greeted them at the door. I looked them in the eye and I said, it's good to see you. And they hadn't heard that in a long time. And they went, maybe, maybe I'm okay today. Maybe they dropped off a child at a kid's room. And instead of feeling like they can't do this anymore, there was just some glimmer subconsciously, maybe I'm not in this alone. And that person who comes in for the very first time today begins to feel gospel love and grace and hope in a way they never would have felt because somebody greeted them at the front door or shook their hand as they walked in or took their child from them in the toddler room. 
That's beautiful service and we make it so small. We make it to be, I'm a volunteer and I do these things. And it's not that. It's God's giving you gifts and talents and time and God has said, what would it look like for you to use them and to imagine what it might mean in someone else's life? There are people that engaging with a human being at the front door is the only time they've talked to another person this week. You've heard there's a loneliness epidemic. You've heard that people are more isolated than ever before. The way to get out of that is to get active at church. Chris Lindquist, I didn't tell him I was going to do this. He was standing at the door. He was our usher today. You know what the usher does? The usher cuts up the communion bread, sets out the uh, gluten-free bread, the grape juice, maybe just cleans up a couple chairs and makes things straight and then stands at the door and welcomes people. And if there's too many people here, some of you guys, you know, it's getting a little full, helps you find a seat. I looked over and I had the biggest smile because Chris was shaking people's hands at the door, which doesn't seem like something we need to applaud. Like that's it's a pretty normal activity. And yet I'm thinking of the narrative that somebody hasn't touched another human being this week and they got looked in the eyes and a firm handshake and we're glad you're here. And they came in and went, maybe this is a place for me. Not covenant church, the kingdom of heaven. He's shaking hands. He didn't split the atom. And yet, what could it mean to somebody who desperately needed that? And what did it cost him? That could be his minimum viable product. He could go, you don't know the skills I have. And I know Chris, and I know he's got some skills. He could be launched in a thousand ways, and it's not beneath him to come and shake someone's hand and cut the communion bread. Adam Barkas is another person who serves as an usher. I don't know if Adam has special ushering gifts. The Bible doesn't list that as one of the spiritual gifts, ushering I love what Adam does with it because um, you, you'll come in on a Sunday morning and he'll be here. It's 8.15. You know, you could sleep in on Sunday morning, but he chooses to be here early. But he'll often bring his girls with him. And so what Adam is doing is he's using a, a simple task of cutting up the communion bread, setting everything out for people, getting the place ready. He uses that as a training ground for his children. And so when Georgia walks through those doors with a plate full of bread and sets it down just right and puts the napkin on it just so to keep it. There's a picture of multi-generational worship happening. There's a picture of somebody handing down a gift to their child, saying this is what it looks like to give our lives for the service of others. And so this child who could also be sleeping in on a Sunday morning or watching YouTube or doing anything else, she puts on her best dress and she looks great because she wants to come and hang out with dad because she gets this minute with dad and then together they do this really important thing because then the whole church is going to take this bread. That's called leveraging what God has given you to make it something more. So I don't think Adam's ever heard me say it and he wouldn't want me to say it to you, but I think when he leaves here after serving as an usher, I think when Chris leaves today as serving as an usher, he should hear a well done, good and faithful servant sort of whisper. Good job today. You doubled it. Good job. Because you could have just mailed it in. You could have just cut the bread, but you did more than that. And each and every one of us has an MVP, well done, good and faithful servant lane we need to start walking in. I don't know what yours is, but I know that it's out there. I know that in a multi-generational church, we have this super unique thing here. Like this is exceedingly rare. And because we're here, we take it for granted. There are, I mean, I can't tell you of a church that I know of that has people from birth to in their 80s all serving together. 
And not like we have a couple in this demographic and a few over here and a smattering there. No, we just have people all across the age ranges, which is the most beautiful thing ever because it means the thing is growing itself and it's renewing itself and it's redeeming itself. And over the time, each generation is teaching the generation below it. And what we're teaching our children is that church is not a place you go to consume. The generation above us has said church is not a place you consume. It's a family you join. It's a place to give of yourself and to watch as the whole rises as a result. That's why we have a great serving culture. It's why we have so many faithful volunteers is because we have a whole generation of people that says, we got this. What can I do? How can I help? And my desire for you is you would find somewhere in your bones this this kind of pull into that life, into that world where you go, I think maybe there's something in there for me. We want to be the kind of place where it isn't unnatural to lay down our lives for others. We don't want to be the kind of place where it isn't unnatural to see radical love poured out on friends or neighbors or strangers or sinners. We want to be the kind of place where all feel welcome, not because we're embracing a culture outside, but because we have such a strong culture inside, we're not afraid of people. We're not afraid of your problems. We're not afraid of your sins. We're not afraid of your darkness. We have light. Come on in. We want to be the kind of place where people look at this place as a beacon when they are down that they can come here and find hope. And that happens because the people of God with the light inside of them stand up and say, I'll help. I'll be part of it. The far off can come home and the addicted and the afflicted and the single parent and the fed up and the broken down, they all can find home here. Yes, even the cleaned up religious person who wants everyone to think they all have it together and deep down we all know none of us do. We exist to know Jesus and make him known. We exist to make known his love and his hope and his grace and his life-transforming salvation for every one of our neighbors. It begins with us shifting from consumption to contribution. It begins with us taking what's comfortable and being willing to be a little uncomfortable so that someone else might be comfortable. but we need everyone to move towards that. In the walls, in the community, we need everyone moving towards their highest and best use. Not because God needs our service, but because God has designed you for that service. To get there, we need everyone to get started, to activate, to just start somewhere, see what it might invite you into. So maybe you have a great smile. Has anyone ever told you you have a great smile? I think you all have great smiles. Maybe you had a really good experience. You came here and you got greeted on the first day. I've heard a lot of those stories where we were here one week and it's always Gemma. And Gemma came over and greeted us. (laughs) I'm like, all right. And those are the people who want to join the greeter team because they had an incredible experience in their first week here of feeling like a little outsider-ish and feeling like maybe, oh, do I, am I going to fit in here? Somebody came and said, you fit in. Come on in. So we had a whole team for that. It's a hospitality team. You love coffee? Coffee lovers? Heavily caffeinated? Some of you are nodding off. You need more? We have people that show up early to get the coffee ready. Get the coffee ready, clean the coffee after. There's a bonus to serving on the coffee team, which is all you can drink coffee. (laughs) Never thought of that. You play an instrument. 
I mean, we, I don't know if you know this, we have this worship team. We have people who would sit here for years who play an instrument like with excellence and will never hear about it. Maybe because you're humble, or maybe because you're a little afraid, or maybe because you know, I don't know if they need me. We'd love to hear you play. We'd love to see your gift used. And yeah, not everybody makes the team because not everybody's going to be like at the right level or knows how to read this type of music. Like it, it, it's not like if I said to Greg, I'm going to come sing on the team, he'd be like, yeah, we'll give you an audition. Uh, how about half past never? You know, I just, it's not going to happen. You don't want me on the team. But there are some of you here that know you can do something, that know you have a gift and a skill, and we would love to incorporate you. Not a musical genius, that's me. You know we have people every week that sit in the production booth and just dominate all sorts of buttons and switches and things I don't understand. So when the worship music goes up on the screen and you and I actually know the words of the song we'd never heard before, it's because somebody has faithfully given, not their like hour, but got here early before you were awake to get through the rehearsal and get it all right so that you and I have uninterrupted worship of the Father. Josh is back there making sure it sounds right. Izzy's making sure it gets recorded so that anybody who missed it or wants to go back and share it with a friend can go online and do that. So we got like a dream team of Christy, Josh, and Izzy just doing things and they'll never get seen. I'm not here to thank them for that. Like they're, again, they're like holding the door and shaking hands. None of these things are like wild things, but all of these things are wildly important. So maybe you're not a musical genius, but you're like, yeah, I want to do that. That sounds fun. Are you observant? Do you like to protect people? Are you the protector around your people, your friends? You always seeing things no one else sees? We got a security team. Did you know that? The world's not always the safest place, and we want to make sure you always feel safe when you come in here and that you never have a threat you have to worry about, that you can come and worship freely. So we actually have people that you may never notice on a given week that are here to watch out for you. And they get here way early. They check every room in the building just to make sure. And if, if they never do anything on a Sunday morning that you ever notice, that means they did their job right. But they're wired for security. They're wired as protectors. So they join the security team. Have a heart for the next generation, covenant kids, covenant students. We've got plenty of those kids. Here's where I'm getting to. Here's the point. If you're on our email list, you're going to get an email today. And it's going to ask you for 90 seconds of your time. You put in your email address. Your name is optional. You don't have to give us your name. And there's a list of all the places in the church that someone can serve. And you just have to click one and hit submit. 90 seconds or less. Here's why I'm asking. Partially, it's not fair for me to sit here and challenge you to activate and then not give you lanes to activate in. I can't tell you to run the race and then take away your running shoes. I have to go, no, no, let's, let's lace them up together. We're going to get there together. And so the email that comes out today, maybe you're already serving and you're happy where you're serving. Fill it out anyway and click the place you're already serving and that'll tell us this person's right where they belong. You want multiple places? You can do that. I want you to overwhelm our staff. Give us a problem to solve. There's too many new volunteers. There's too many people who want to activate. There's too many people who want to serve God with their gifts. I would love that. Some of you need to get started and some of you are kind of bored where you are or feel like you're not being used real well and you need to level up to your new highest and best. We're good with that too. And if your highest and best is elsewhere, Pregnancy Center, The Nest, the Christian Academy, if your highest and best is with some partner doing kingdom work out in the city, 
Maybe it doesn't have an org attached to it. Maybe you're out serving the local law enforcement in your own unique way, and that's what you do with your week. I bake brownies for sheriffs every Tuesday. Awesome. Reply to that email and say, here's what I do every Tuesday so we can cheer you on. Because the goal here is activation. It's not building an organization. It's activation in the kingdom of God. God has given you each unique mix of skills and gifts and talents. And my hope today is you might be motivated to use them to find the well-done, good and faithful servant sort of life, kingdom life. Because what we are aiming for is life in BG as it is in heaven. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have certainly made us unique. God, my prayer for our people and for our community today is that we would, uh, we would really use and leverage all that you've put into us for you. Father, where we are uh, consumeristic, I pray that you would grind that out of us, that you would make us instead people that want to use our lives for others, that we want to contribute. God, where we are selfish in our flesh, I pray that you would grind that out of us creating us a selflessness and a sacrificial nature that causes us to desire to use each moment, each resource, each skill to see someone else nudged closer to your love. Father, thank you for the way you've loved us, for the radical sacrifice of Jesus, and how that invites us into a life of flourishing. God, we love you. We trust you. We pray in your name. Amen.